Welcome to another episode of Love with Elise Peck. I'm your host, Elise, and in season two of this podcast, we're speaking with responsive mamas. Today, we're speaking with Kylie Reevely, all about her experience of becoming um, a responsive mum. And so enjoy, there's a lot of twists and turns and insights and wisdom in store for you. Welcome to another episode of the Love with Elise Peck podcast. I'm your host, Elise Peck. I'm a best-selling author, certified mindset coach, psychology student, former lawyer, wife, and mother to two primary school aged girls. Today, I'm happy to be speaking with Kylie Reevely. Now, Kylie is a Reiki master, a key, or is that chi? I might have to clarify in a moment, facilitator who loves connecting with like minds and the universal flow of energy, immersing herself in nature, surfing, and making jewelry in her spare time. A full-time primary teacher for 12 years, Kylie broke out of the mold she'd been cast into by her conditioning at around age 30, when she began her spiritual journey and pathway towards reclaiming her truth. She has been fascinated with the human experience and behaviors ever since she can remember and is extremely passionate about following her intuition through the journey of motherhood and rewriting her generational trauma through conscious and mindful parenting aimed at allowing her children to have agency over much of their lives and empowering them with a deep understanding of emotional intelligence and energetics. So welcome, Kylie. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. I love, I love, um, you know, all your interests and everything. But by the way, is it Ki or Chi? It's, um, it's K-I actually. I should have put a dot between it. (laughs) K-I facilitator. Yeah. I know what a Reiki master is. I've done an energy healing course and yeah, you had to get up to, you had to go through this Reiki part. Um, but I haven't heard of K-I facilitator. I imagine just briefly that's sort of energetics, it's actually not. It's actually like an embodied mindful approach to inquiry that has like um, a somatic foundation. So it's actually allowing um, people, guiding them through experiences um, that they've had before and the triggers that they have today because of those experiences and then allowing them to kind of just feel into their body things that they might have repressed or suppressed and then working out what kind of beliefs they've formed because of that experience mm. and just exploring that. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Now, yeah. I love seeing your your name pop up. Um, I put a call out in, in sort of uh, attachment parenting groups and responsive parenting groups. And when your name popped up, I recognized it because a couple of years ago, I was just investigating a potential business opportunity. And I came to an online Zoom event and there was just all these women looking at working from home opportunities, stuff like that. And um, you were asked to speak a bit that day and you came on and you just said breastfeeding. Oh. And, and I was like, who is this person? I love her vibe. I love that we're just here and she's, you know, um, breastfeeding away and part of the conversation, um, loved it. Uh, and so I looked up your names. Your name is listed on Zoom and I found you on Instagram. Instead of following you, so I I know a little bit about you just from your Instagram. Um, so it was yeah, it's it's kind of cool to be having this chat today. <laughs> I don't yeah, remember that. Cool. Yes, getting there in the business and breastfeeding, but um, 
I would love to know if you could, I would start off with the first question is if you could give your pre-motherhood self any advice about motherhood, what would it be? Oh, that is such a good question. Um, first, the first thing that um, dropped down was just follow your, your intuition and trust yourself. Because I think being a first time mother, perhaps some people are already in that place where they do trust themselves 100%. But for me, I, I did have a little bit of postnatal anxiety and I was, because my journey to have a child was a long one and that's a story of its own. But um, yeah, I was very anxious about everything. And so I did listen to a lot of people and I kind of, that was a bit overwhelming. And if I had have just known that I could trust myself and that what what I felt was right was right, that, that would have saved me a whole lot of, um, you know, worry, I'm sure. Yeah, but trusting yourself. Yeah. Were you, would you say before you became a mum, you were sort of quite already intuitive and trusting of yourself? Um, or did that sort of develop during pregnancy or during birth or during motherhood? I think I was, I was quite intuitive. Um, and I did trust myself to some extent, but then being responsible for the life of someone else and having that that feeling of your heart outside your body um, and just this this innocent little thing that that was my responsibility to protect and to nurture and I think that kind of gave me the like the lioness kind of feeling of you know there's no you know there's no other way than what feels right to me you know I have to just follow that like yeah yeah I completely relate yeah yeah I love the way that you've worded that so I'd love you to briefly describe your early mothering years so you've given birth you've become a mom what is this like for you the next few months the years oh but all of the feelings <laughs> so completely honored and besotted and just in awe but also for me with it that because I didn't really realize I had postnatal anxiety until I kind of came out of it um but so for me I, I was quite overwhelmed a lot and and quite scared I used to put my little boy down and then I would I would check him nearly every three minutes you know most of the time he was asleep near me but if if he was you know, somewhere where I couldn't see him, like just in the other room or whatever on the bed, I'd be in there, you know, up until up until he was at least one and a half, I think, I was just constantly making sure he was still alive. You know, it was just, it was insane. And looking back, I can see clearly that, that that's anxiety. But in the moment, I was just, thought I was being really hypervigilant, <laughs> you know, just being really careful. Um, but there was... Can I Sorry. Just ask on that, can I just ask on that? There, are, there are some cultures. So, I see in the comments sectional people from all over the world, and some people say, I think it might have been in India. Um, I know that there was some culture that the baby is always someone's always watching the baby to make sure they don't die. That's a cultural thing. Like SIDS yeah. must be, and so they never. And in a in Australia, we get told to never leave a baby sleep in the other room for the first six months. That you should always be around it. It's to decrease SIDS risk. So 
how do you know that this wanting to constantly check in was anxiety versus just a, mater a maternal instinct of in the wild we would have always been attached and, and holding the baby? Yeah, that's a really good question too. And I just want, do want to clarify that I wore him all the time and um, we bed, we slept together um, at night time. So we bed shared. And so, I mean, there, there, he wasn't asleep in another room a lot, but when he, when I, he was, and even when he was on me on my chest, I would, you know, be checking him all the time. And I guess maybe it was just a maternal instinct, but maybe society tells me that it's anxiety because I was, um, you know, more cautious maybe than other people. But I did have, you know, between the times where he was, say, five metres away or whatever in the lounge room or wherever and I couldn't see him and I would come and check on him, I would have a flash in my head of seeing him not alive before I saw him. And so it was like a very vivid and quite traumatic experience. So that kind of tells me it maybe was a bit of, yeah, that postnatal anxiety. And do you have any tips or anything for anyone that maybe is listening going oh I'm like that um you know do you do, do you have any tips of how to get through that um just be kind to yourself and you know and if you are concerned then just keep going and checking you know like don't don't try and sit there like people my mum would try and say to me oh just just give it a bit longer you know just wait for a bit longer and then go and try and sort of you know, teach yourself not to go and check when you want to check. And you don't need to train yourself out of that, you know. I think it's just be mindful and if it's if it's causing you suffering, then perhaps, you know, there are ways to look into what it might be. Um, and for me, like I did actually start taking um, some supplements and omegas and that did actually help me. But um, so I don't know if I did have, you know, a bit of postnatal depletion as well. So, but I think just be kind to yourself, yeah, and ask for help, which I never did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's such a big one, the getting support. And I think almost um, we need like training before we become mothers. Like, this is how much support you'll need. You know, what's your plan? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your plan to get this level of support? Because, yeah, get it in place beforehand and then you can cancel it if you don't need it. But I think that's such a big one. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So I interrupted you. You were, um, to just to clarify, you were sort of talking about your early motherhood journey. So it was this, um, this sense of hypervigilance and these flashes of things happening um, and this sense of really wanting to protect this thing. Um, and was there any more on, did I, when I stopped you, was there any more you were going to say about that, your early mother, mothering experience? Um, just that balanced with like completely blissful moments of just being besotted with this, this new life and this, this, I don't want to say like blank canvas, but I just want to say this really innocent soul that, you know, has no conditioning and is just this beautiful little thing that has so much potential and so much, um, uh, just so much to look forward to, you know, and with, with that beauty also comes like a huge responsibility to, 
to do everything kind of in a way that will nurture and support them rather than, you know, plant seeds. You want to plant the good seeds. <laughs> yeah. 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 Beautiful. So when did you decide to become a responsive parent? When did it, when did you think I'm going to hear this baby and I'm going to trust its communication and I'm going to try and work with it? Yeah, right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. You know, every time he cried, I would pick him up. Every time he wanted to feed, I would feed him. Um, basically, yeah, basically right from the get-go. And um, even to the point where once, like, you know, he was crying. He would, he was crying one day and my mum was visiting and she said, oh, just give him to me. I'll, I'll take him, you know, around the corner for a walk to give you a break. And I was just like, no, you won't. <laughs> no you won't I don't want you you can't like and I just had this I couldn't let go of him I was like you're not taking him away from me he's crying he needs me I'm his mum he's like maybe four months old um you're not taking like yeah yeah oh, I had that as well that was kind of newborn um I was offered some supportive I can wheel this baby around the block in the pram and I knew my baby did not like the pram and I couldn't think of anything worse and my baby without me crying alone and just being wheeled around yeah. in a pram. I was like, that's okay. So then I was like, well, I couldn't, you know, the feedback was you can't support Elise. She won't accept help. <laughs> not that, not that I, if you wanted to help me with the laundry or help me get some food while I'm sitting there breastfeeding or something, that's yeah. great. Yeah. I had this, um, this, this sense of I just want to be the one to be there and baby needs their mum the most. Yeah. And do you have any research or knowledge of best practices for babies or it was just all pure instinct? Um, no, I had done a lot of research on like, um, I think I read the book, The Continuum Concept. Have you read that? Yeah, yeah. so I'd read that and, and I'd done hypnobirthing and I just, you know, I had done... Um, my first couple of Reiki attunements and you know I studied a, a bit of spirituality and things like that and I just I, I didn't want to do it the I don't know how what to call it like the the not the traditional way because it's not the traditional way but like the way that society kind of dictates that we should do it in this patriarchy you know like um yeah and I wasn't going to go back to work so I just I didn't, I just didn't want to conform to the way that everyone expected me to do it. I just wanted to do it how, how, how I felt was the best way for my, my kids. Yeah. And for me, because I totally resonate with what you said about, you know, oh, she doesn't accept support. You know, I was desperate for support too, but I couldn't, I couldn't take support in, in the way of giving my child over. Um, so that was tricky as well because that's the kind of support that people want to give you. They want to just take your child and, and then go, oh, you're free. But if your adrenaline's going through the roof because you don't have your child with you, then that's not really supportive to anyone. <laughs> yeah, scientific studies have shown that when babies and mums are separated, both of them have elevated cortisol. Um, if that's, yeah, quite an unfamiliar thing for them, eventually you can break that bond, which is really sad by doing it routinely. But if that bond hasn't been interfered with naturally both the baby and the mum will have elevated cortisol when they're away from each other 
And I think this is a really important point is, you know, if someone in your life has just had a baby, like the support they need is everything outside of holding the baby. So their whole existence used to be them functioning without having to hold a baby. Now they can't do any of that. Now they are holding and breastfeeding and meeting the need of the baby. And so now the mother sort of needs everything else around her done. I, I mean, I, I think it would be great if there was support for mothers like housekeepers or something, you know, bring a housekeeper that is going to tend to all the household stuff, the cleaning, the laundry, um, the cooking, the all of this, this stuff, because, you know, you're just there with milk, breast milk all over you and, yeah. and like pads recovering from, from the birth and, um, you know, you're just there and you, you just want to soak in this baby and that's all the baby wants. I think that's such an important point that supporting the mother is kind of giving her everything other than holding the baby. She doesn't really need support with that part. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, apart from potentially a small moment while you have a shower, but even for me, my preference was I would put a play mat or something safe or like, you know, those, uh, I would put something that the baby was safe on next to the shower so I could shower and watch the baby while I shower. That was the best solution for me. Um, was to just always have it in my line of sight. Yes. So I really, I think, I think that's an important point. So you mentioned that you knew you were going to be a stay-at-home mum. When did you make that decision? Um, well, I was teaching at the time and then I had maternity leave. So I knew that I had that, I can't remember how many weeks it was, maybe, and, and I went half pay for maternity leave. So it was extended. Maybe it was six months or something like that or a little bit more. Um so I, I kind of had in my mind given myself that time and then, you know, it was like a safety net that I could go back if I wanted to, but, like, I knew that I never was going to. And so then when it got close to that time, I was, like, brave enough to kind of say, I've got this baby now in my arms. There is no way I'm going back. And so then I was able to, I think I just needed that courage to kind of have that and then um, put in my service leave without pay. Um, yeah, so I kind of always knew, but I didn't really have the courage to lock it in until it was almost time to go back because it was getting to that deadline. Yeah. 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 It was a bit similar as well. I don't know if this happened to you, but for me, I was in this corporate environment and they were really like, we want to be representing women's rights and getting women back into the workplace. We want to be seen as equal opportunities. So um, they really made sure that I locked in, you know, a, a date when I would come back and this was yeah. really lovely but they, and a lot of people said to me it's important we lock this in at least because you just won't you just don't know and if you go on maternity leave and you want to come back early let us know if you and I you know and I always have this instinct I think I'm just going to want to be with this baby um you know for the next I don't know 10 years I, I I already knew I wanted to do primary school drops that was a goal of mine is I want to be taking them to school and picking them up um and so, but but there was something nice in leaving the option open until you really got to that one year mark where they called up and I was like, no, like I definitely, you know, have but that yeah, made my decision. So it was really similar for me. And I think there is something nice in that. I think there's already so much on your mind about how's the birth gonna go, how's the first few months gonna go, that to make this life-altering decision um of leaving your career behind is a lot of pressure it is kind of nice to keep to keep that option open yeah absolutely yeah and so what would you say has been the most um challenging part of being a responsive parent oh 
just I think probably doing the work myself, you know, doing that work so that when I get triggered by their their behaviors, like it's it's all of that conditioning that you that will that I had when I was a kid, and you know my parents did the best that they could. They loved me dearly, but they were conditioned by their parents, you know. So they kind of they were very don't cry, get up, you'll be fine, you know. Um, they smacked me, you know. It was just like what you did back then um and that's they thought that that was the right thing to do and so I don't begrudge them for it at all but I sometimes as much as I am very um you know passionate about doing parenting the way that I'm doing it sometimes I can feel that you know that sensation of frustration build up in me because as much as I try and do things very responsively and very gently sometimes I'm in a rush to get out the door and I need something done by a certain time or I need the kids to listen. And sometimes the way that I'm doing it doesn't work. Like it's not just because you're gentle doesn't mean the kids are going to go, okay, mum, and like put their shoes on straight away. <laughs> and so sometimes I get frustrated and I think really the biggest challenge for me has been like one, accepting that I'm human and that it's okay to get frustrated. Um, but two, just like really practising like kind of monitoring my own emotions and and not projecting them onto the kids you know because um, the easy way is to go back to the default and kind of get cranky with them um, not to say that I don't ever get cranky with them but you know I can notice in me when I can when I'm about to say something and I'm like oh that's like that sounds like my dad or that sounds like my mum you know and um it's really important for me to like stop to that and just find a find a better way you know mm, that's so powerful and so important and also so hard to do is <laughs> these instincts and this these you know um, the blueprint come on board and to be able to catch that and choose something different and yeah we don't always do it I mean who could my goodness like you've been conditioned your whole life you've got this blueprint your your nervous system was treated you know was was taught to kind of get freaked out by this and, and and react to that and sort of the the process of reparenting and um well not even reparenting I mean it is called reparenting but I think there's got to be a better way of calling it because I think reparenting can sometimes sound a bit rough to probably the parents that yeah. <laughs> did parent us like oh my god I, I'm sure I parented them and now they're saying they have to reparent um it's like oh, I've got to redo this job but like you know um, up leveling I guess taking it to another level of growing the inner parent to be a more conscious inner parent like you know up leveling this inner parent can be so hard and I think your first point was so important about like giving ourselves grace for when we don't but I think if all you learn is repair <laughs> yeah. is you know then already you've improved on the last generation most of the time if you can, you know, to say, you know what, you didn't deserve that. That was my stuff. That was my reaction because I was panicked about being on time or I was panicked and you didn't deserve it and you never deserve to be treated that way and that was not okay and I'm so sorry and I'm going to notice that and I'm going to work on figuring out why I acted that way and, and do better next time. Uh, I think that already is just such a huge leap forward um, in building connection and building respect 
for our children and helping them feel like they are worthy of love and that we do love them and 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 having a bond I think the ruptures happen and it's great to try and not have the ruptures but I think repairing um yeah is a really powerful way of of up leveling your inner parent and up leveling yourself as a parent too um but have you found any great tips or or insights on breaking those generational cycles or on doing better than the generation before you um I like I wouldn't say that I've got specific tips um but I would say doing that inquiry into your own upbringing and your own triggers now because for me everything that triggers me now I can link back to when I was a child and something that happened to me then and the story that I made about that experience so it doesn't even have to be like a really bad experience it just has to be something that happened and the story that I made about it um so just inquiring into that um inquiring into my own um beliefs that I have you know, that has really helped me see what beliefs I'd like to kind of steer my own kids away from having themselves, which I know I can't protect them. I can't wrap them up in cotton wool. And, you know, I believe that they're going to learn and experience exactly what they need to, to evolve into the human beings and the souls that, you know, not that they're destined to, but that, you know, that's their journey, if that makes sense. Um, and so I want to just be really aware of things that happened to me and, and the story I made of them and try and like not replicate that, um, with my own children. Yeah. Awareness. Yeah. yeah. Just that awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I just had, um, oh, I had this question and it just escaped me. It was just sitting there and I was really excited to ask it, but I, <laughs> myself to be more present I'm trying to what it was oh I know what it was so breaking the generational um cycles doing the self-inquiry being a responsive parent like this all takes significant effort right um why what's your why like why is it worth it to you um oh it's that one is so like it's such an easy answer is because hopefully then they won't have to spend like the second half of their life doing what I've had to do. <laughs> you know, they won't have to spend, imagine a child that grows up without all of the stuff that they have, then have to unlearn and relearn the new, the new. And I'm sure they're going to have stuff that they're going to make stories about and have their own beliefs that they might have to inquire into and they'll have to do inner work. I mean, I don't think you get out of it in this human existence but I do think you know if I can give them a really strong foundation where they even know how to do the work already as well and they know that it's a thing you know it's quite normal to do a bit of self-inquiry it's normal to repair it's normal to make mistakes and to learn from them and in fact that's a beautiful thing you know that's a valuable thing and so if I can give them tools and beliefs like that then my why is so that they don't have to then you know learn all this stuff from scratch when they're in their 30s or 20s or wherever it is that they kind of realize oh shit I've got a lot of work to do if you know what I mean yeah absolutely I totally hear you um that's 
very similar to my why as well. Is it? Yeah. 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 My why is to so that my children thrive because of their childhood rather than having to survive um, mm. and sort of put themselves back together in, and recover. I like that. Yes. Yeah. So, what would you say is the most rewarding part about being a responsive mum? Uh, when you see your children model that behavior to each other. Yeah, that makes me just like, I get goosebumps when I, when I hear them do that. Or, you know, if I hear my, my son, he's six and my daughter's three. So if I hear him, you know, say to her, like, it's okay to make mistakes or, you know, like just little, little phrases that I might say to them or, um, you know, so sometimes my daughter Shanti, she says, mommy, I think you might need to go and take some deep breaths, you know. Yeah. And it's so cute. Like it's beautiful. And, you know, that that's that's valuable to me. And it's yeah, really rewarding. Yeah. Oh, same. I, I love um sometimes my my eldest will say, you know, hang on, no, you need to connect with me first. I need, I want to feel validated. Can you, you know, you haven't validated me on that yeah. moment. And it's like she she knows what she deserves, you know what I mean? And, and she's able to kind of coach me back and say, hang on, you know, you know, quiet living, walking your talk here. Um, but also it's getting feedback from other people in the community, like, oh, my wants to be in your daughter's class next year because she said that she's so kind and she always really cares when people are having a hard time. Yeah. Yeah, other people, you know, teachers will say, oh, no, she's like a neutralizer. She helps people work through conflict or... Um, yeah, th this sort of stuff is like, oh, it's a ripple effect, you know, sort of like I, I've learned this stuff and then I, I used to have a mentor that used to say, each one, teach one. And I, I learned this stuff and then I tried to give it to my child and now my child's giving it to other people. And it's like, that's what a beautiful thing. And if everyone does that, um, I mean, there's this book called Peace, Peaceful Parenting, Peaceful World or something similar by um, Robin Grill. And like the concept is that we can change the world by changing how we parent. And I think it just takes a lot of people getting together and doing that and that becoming the culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Instead of, you know, fighting each other and trying to one-up each other, we can focus on improving the world together. We can kind of come together and, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know in reality if humans will ever pull that off because you always have a small percentage that no matter what, they don't want to collaborate. But I think... Um, at least if you make the culture, if, if you're a contribution to creating the world you do want to see, it gives you a sense of empowerment, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it, you know, even if it just gives our children that and then they give their children that, you know, there's got to be some kind of tipping point where there's more parents doing that style of parenting and being responsive. You know, it's got to, it's got to get to a tipping point at some, some stage. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I feel like there's been such a shift even since I gave birth eight years ago that more people are aware of, you know, psychological safety and attachment and this sort of stuff. So what tips, um, if any, or what advice would you give to someone who is pregnant um, and about to become a mum? Oh, well, that's a huge question. <laughs> what tips? Um, what advice? There's so much advice that I could give. Um, I think really just to, to stick to your guns, 
like really stick to your guns. Don't get shamed into anything. Don't get pressured into anything. Don't let people bully you or, you know, um, you know, try and guilt you into doing things a certain way. Like there's always people in, in my life, not, not so much now, but because they know that they don't have any, um, you know, power really over me. But there's going to be always people that try and make you feel like their way is better. You know, there's always everyone wants to give advice and, and surely a lot of them have got good intentions. But I honestly think it's so important to, like, learn to step into your power and just, you know, don't cave in just because of pressure from other people. Do things the way that feel right in your heart, in your soul, um, because at the end of the day they're your children and you don't want to be doing something just to please someone else when it feels wrong to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And what has been your greatest lesson from becoming a mother? The greatest learning? What is wow. that good for you? Wow. Um, I think one of the huge things that I've learned is to look after myself more. You know, I like I think I, I do put a lot of people before me and I and I have for a long time just um, that's part of my nature um, and part of my conditioning for sure. Um, but I have learned that the better I feel, the better mum I can be. So when I, even as hard as it is sometimes, and I still get mum guilt and I still, you know, think, oh, like I, I have this like FOMO. I'm like, I get time away and I'm like, oh, but, but I'll miss out on like being with the kids and, you know, I want to have fun. But I know that the value of me filling my cup just changes the whole climate of the household and the kids are just, they get so much more nourishment when I feel good. So, yeah. Awesome. And if anyone wants to connect with you, how can they do that? Do you have a website or that your Instagram? Yeah, I'm currently building my website, so that will be coming, but I've got just my Instagram, which is, I've got two Instagrams, Kylie Reevely. Yeah, just Kylie.Reevely, I think it is. Um, and then I have one for my business, which is Mareiki, which is M-E-R-E-I-K-I -E -I -I with an underscore. M-E, oh, Reiki, M-Reiki. Yeah. I'll add those in the description of the podcast. Is, um, there, any, is there anything um, that you wanted to say today that I haven't quite covered or asked you a question about when it comes to early motherhood, becoming a mum? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head, but, you know, I'll probably get off the podcast and, and go, oh, I wish I had have said this. Um, but I think, you know, like everyone says, it goes so fast. And I think, you know, it's like I used to stress out about getting the housework done and about all the little things. And I think the most beautiful and most important thing that you can do is just be present with your kids and just like it's, it's an art to surrender. It's really an art and it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry when you desperately want to, you know, have no one touching you. It's okay to cry when you desperately want to shower but you can't, like, you know, physically get yourself in there because it's just too hard sometimes. Like, you know, there might be a lot of tears but I think, um, yeah, it's, it's one of the toughest journeys I think anyone is going to go through but... It's one of the most powerful as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it absolutely is, which is, um, I think if you really do surrender to your child and you surrender to mother nature and you surrender to your role as mom and to your maternal instincts, um, it's a really, really full-on season, mm. uh, which is why I think um, tapping into why you're doing it, what it's all for, is can be really powerful on those days. What is the long outcome you want to get? Why is it worth it? Which is partly why I'm sort of um, wanting to speak to people that have done it, get their why, so that people can understand, like, oh, why would you have done that when, like, you could have just shut them alone in a room and ignore their cries and had a great uh, clean house and an easy day. Like, why would you be doing this? Because <laughs> it feels like your heart's getting ripped out of your chest, <laughs> you know, if you try and do that. Yeah. Well, it did for me anyway, you know, like even even people saying, mentioning to me, oh, what, you're sleeping with them in the bed, you know, like I got a lot of questioning and I just, I couldn't even contemplate having them in a cot in another room like there was no way um and also I think your sleep quality is so much better when you don't have to get up and move around and things like that too so um something that did just pop into my head if we've got time is I really I love rituals and I love ceremony and I really think like I had a beautiful blessing way before I gave birth and I think if um you have the opportunity to do that with a group of like-minded women I think it's just such a powerful thing to have that um and you know we didn't have the traditional cake with the you know all of those things or drinking games or anything but we just we made some craft and we connected and we you know um we made candles that were to be lit when I was giving birth and we had um bands around our wrists to be cut and just it was just a beautiful connect connecting experience um so I think that can be really powerful as well. Taking time to honour the transition from yeah. mother and the ritual around it. And, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And then the closing. I didn't have a closing of the bone ceremony, but I, I wish I did. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, rich, the, the power of ritual is underestimated. Um, I haven't really done rituals. I mean, I had a doula for my second that did some sort of ritual stuff. But I haven't really had much in my life and I've read about how important it is um, for women, for girls when they come of age, like when they get their period and whatever, mm-hmm. that having a ritual apparently is so important for their psychological welfare and for them to make that transition in, in identity that as humans we really benefit a lot from um, ritual and marking occasions and celebrating. And, um, yeah, so that's a really yeah, good point. Absolutely. And when you have a baby, when you have your first baby, all the focus is on the baby, you know, and, and that's lovely. And all the focus is on the baby. And, and sometimes a first time mother feels really like invisible. <laughs> if there's, if there's no, you know, planned kind of support or anything like that. So I think it's really important to honor that transition because it's huge going from the maiden to the mother. It is huge. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. I've really enjoyed your um, your insights and the wisdom. And yeah, it's it's been a really like fresh take, to be honest. So thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, Elise. I've really enjoyed being on here as well. My pleasure. 
Thanks for joining me for another episode of Love with Elise Peck. I've popped Kylie's contact details in the description, the caption of this podcast episode. I've also popped my website in there if you'd like to learn more about me. Um, And so I look forward to connecting with you on another episode of Love with Elise Peck very soon. If you have any questions as a responsive mama, also feel free to email me at hello at elisepeck.com. Okay, bye for now.